You're listening to the Million Praying Moms podcast, where we believe every mom is uniquely designed by God for his purpose, but also a part of something much bigger than she could ever be alone. Authors and moms, Erin Mooring and Brooke McLaughlin. Hey, that's us. Hey, it is. We're going to help you make prayer your first and best response to the challenges of parenting. Listen in on real life conversations with the experts about real issues parents face today and learn practical ways to focus on Christ as you seek wisdom and hope for the difficult job of raising children in today's world. If you're ready to handle life with grace because you've been in the presence of God, you're in the right place. Here are your hosts, teachers, writers, speakers, moms, and lovers of all things cozy, comfortable, and coffee-related, Brooke and Erin. Hey there, friends. You're listening to episode number 23 of the Million Praying Moms podcast, where each week we're talking about the real issues Christian parents face today and equipping you to make prayer your first and best response to the challenges of parenting. If you haven't already, we would so appreciate your support in leaving a review of our show on iTunes. These help other people find the Million Praying Moms podcast And they help us know that we're doing a good job, which is always good to know. (laughs) So just click review, select ratings and reviews, and write a review, and then let us know what you love about the podcast. Thanks so much in advance. Yes, you guys, we really do love your reviews. Recently, a friend of our ministry reached out and said, I love listening to your podcast. In fact, the first week I turned it on, the episode was Kelly Stewart talking about her adoption journey. It was just a few weeks after we'd started ours, and it was so sweet to my soul. Thanks again for your ministry and the work you do to be a friend to all moms. And guys, if you didn't hear Kelly Stewart's episode, we will put a link to it in our show notes. It was so good and will be an encouragement to so many people. And reviews like that one mean the the world to us because it's exactly what we're trying to accomplish. So if you're listening, take just a few minutes to go leave your review right away so we know the time we're spending is making an impact. Today's episode is brought to you by Protect Young Eyes a website devoted to helping you protect your children online. Our guest today is actually the founder of Protect Young Eyes, and I think it's going to be one of our most informative and popular episodes because we're really getting down to the nitty-gritty of a very important topic. Yes, I'm actually really excited about this one myself. And because today's episode is so important, we're offering a free download to go with it that we believe will help meet the needs of many of our listeners. It's called 10 Ways to Know If Your Child is Ready for a Cell Phone. And you can download it in our show notes at millionprayingmoms.com. This resource is very character-driven. In other words, it focuses on who your child really is, not so much what they do. It isn't a checklist for them to tackle the day before you give them a cell phone. Rather, it's supposed to be a way for you as the parent to look at who they are most of the time and know whether or not they're ready for the responsibility of a phone and all that brings with it. Again, you can get it in our show notes at millionprayingmoms.com. Okay, Erin, let's dive into today's topic, one that I have personally been looking forward to for quite some time, because I want to be able to use the information that we're going to talk about today in my own home. So you and I both have kids who are at that stage where they're either getting or will soon be getting phones. 
We recently allowed my oldest son to purchase his own used phone when he turned 13 and he's now 14, but only after almost a year of challenging him in his character so that we were sure he was ready. We had, uh, we used, actually used the, the concepts from the free download for today uh, in our own home before we made them available to you guys as a way to help him understand who we wanted him to be before he was allowed to have a cell phone. It wasn't, as you explained earlier, it wasn't about the things that he was doing. It was about who he was. And so as you probably know, and as I'm sure our listeners know, as soon as they get a cell phone, they're going to want social media. It's kind of like if you give a mouse a cookie, it's like if you give a kid a cell phone, they're going to want social media. Uh, Yeah. And I can't log on to my computer or phone these days without seeing someone asking about one of the social media platforms. And usually it's a well-meaning parent asking other parents to help them understand the ins and outs and opinions on whether or not their child should have it. And other times parents are talking about how much their children should be on their phones, debating when they should have access to phones and social media and trying to understand the effects it can have, both positive and negative, on their homes. I've done it myself. I've I've gone to Facebook, and I've enlisted the help of other parents to help me understand the various popular platforms that my children are asking for, and that most of their friends already have. So far, we've still not allowed our children to have any social media at all. None. Not at all. But they always feel left out when they're with their friends. And while we're willing to do things that stand against the culture, it does bother me some that our decision makes them feel isolated at times. Our guest today is going to provide us with what we think will be a very useful show. Chris McKenna, founder of Protect Young Eyes, is going to talk with us about the current most popular social media platforms one by one and help us know the ins and outs, pros and cons, and basically what we need to know to decide if our kids are ready. Chris, welcome to the show. We're glad Thank you could you, join Aaron. us. Yeah. yeah, so happy to, to, to do this and to just um, give parents better information. Education on these topics is so important because it changes so quickly, doesn't it? It does. It does. It feels like we can't keep up with it. Before yeah. we start, tell us about yourself, your family, and your ministry. Sure. So, Um, I'm the founder and CEO of Protect Young Eyes, protectyoungeyes.com. This is an organization that I never intended to exist. I know that sounds funny, but I never set off um, with with this idea. I was a um, a CPA with Ernst & Young for 12 years. I was in business consulting, and then the Lord called me into the local church. And then from 2009 to 2016, I was a junior high youth pastor because that's so much like being a business consultant, right? Like not at all. But that was his idea. And so I went and did that. And it was during that time, as you can imagine, from 09 to 16, this is the rise of social media, the rise of the portable internet ready device. Parents constantly coming to me with questions around what's this new Instagram thing, if you can imagine a time when that was still new. And so instead of answering the same questions over and over again, I said, well, I'm a consultant. I like to fix things. Let's build a website and put it all there. We'll do all the research. Parents were having a hard time keeping up, knowing where to go. Everyone's too busy to do the research, but they want to protect their kids. So protectyoungeyes.com was built out of that need to solve two problems is I don't know where to go and I don't have time to find out. That's why we exist. And so we now have a team of individuals. I invite everyone who's listening to this to go to the website. We want to make the best information as accessible and barrier free as possible, right? So we create a clearinghouse, the website of all the best that we can find. We do the research, we put it all in one spot so that parents who are listening to this, grandparents, 
um, step parents, anybody who's trying to protect young people can go there in a very practical, non-technical, step-by-step, I can do it in the next day kind of stuff. That's why we exist. And um, we have a team of, of seven of us that are not only keeping the website up to date, but are doing last year 293 presentations all over the country at schools and churches and faith and non-faith-based organizations. Um, now, internationally to tell as many parents as possible about the things we'll talk about today. So I love that. We're so excited, Chris, to have you on the show. And I I just want to give a shout out to our mutual friend, Luke Gilkerson, who has also been on our show who introduced us to you because honestly, we did not even know that protect young eyes existed before we had you on the show today. And I feel like there must be, if we as, as connected as we are uh, in this, in this technological world and, and with important, you know, ministries and services to parents, if we didn't know about it, I feel like there are a lot of other parents out there that don't know that this amazing resource exists. And so I am just as excited, you know, just with what we've said right now, I feel like we've given them a powerful tool. We, we don't have to do the rest of the show, right? We can just let them go. <laughs> there <we> go. But <laughs> no. I mean, there's, there's some, there's some truth to that, Brooke. We're going to unpack a lot of things right now, but by following us on social media, by simply dropping their email address into the opt-in that'll come up on the website, which gives them access to a free weekly digital trends email newsletter. And by visiting the website from time to time, if a parent did those things and had intentional conversations, you're going to at least get a B plus when it comes to providing an internet safer environment for your children just by doing those three things. And so I'm so happy about this connection. All of that is free. That is our, our mission is to make it free and accessible and not put up any walls between parents and the best stuff so that we can protect as many kids as possible. I I'll love take that a B so plus. Let's yes. right. a passing right. grade. That's yeah. right. It is. It is. <laughs> That's fantastic. And I love it too because um, I have a 14-year-old who does have a phone. We made him purchase his own phone. We have very strict limitations on it. We have this whole like cell phone contract that we've produced for him. And, and we've really tried to be discerning parents when we came to this decision. But he has no social media yet. And uh, so I'm very interested in learning what you have to say today. And I am just going to dive right in and go for one big general question before we unpack the individual platforms, kind of the big five or the top five, as we've talked about it, that parents need to be aware of right now. I want to go for that big general question first, and that is, does social media hurt our children? That's a good one, Brooke. And so another lens that is helpful for your audience to understand is I'm a father of four children. My oldest daughter is 14 entering her freshman year of high school. Then I have twin boys who are um, nine years old. And then I have a um, Blake who is seven. So we had three boys in 19 months. And so I have a second grader, third grader, fourth grader, and ninth grader. Again, none of that was my plan. That was never in the spreadsheet. God has a sense of humor. <laughs> we and one get of my, that. <laughs> yeah. And my twins, I have a variable in there in that they're fraternal twins. And my son Grant was born with Down syndrome and his fraternal twin Cole was not. So I think that's just helpful context for the listeners to understand is I'm not just doing these things based on research. I'm doing these things because I'm practicing them in my own home (laughs) and and failing and succeeding and stumbling and bumbling towards what I think are best practices, just like a lot of the families listening. So I don't pretend to have it all figured out, 
We've just have spent inordinate amounts of time researching things that tend to work for most families so that families can then pick out what works best for them. So your question, um, I believe that at its core, the premise on which social media is built is not beneficial for human beings. The entire business model of social media is one of how can I cause as many human beings as possible to engage with my platform for as long as possible. Mm -hmm. And therefore, through the lens of engagement, I earn revenue. Therefore, the motivation for a for-profit company to put my business head on for a minute is always going to be maximizing revenue. And if the primary maximizer of revenue is human attention, then I must come to the conclusion that that particular item we're talking about is not inherently beneficial to humans. Does that make sense? It does. It's more inherently beneficial to the person who is running the platform. It, it always is. This <laughs> yes. is the problem. You know, so there's a lot that we could talk about on that path. That means that does not mean that all social media is evil and we should bubble wrap our children and they can't have it. Parents are going to be all over the board on that. But that means that in order to use it well, you must intentionally choose to use it well because inherently it will take advantage of you if you let it call all of the shots. Does that make sense? It absolutely does. And I think it's important because now it's been a couple of years ago now. I had the opportunity to go to the Chick-fil-A headquarters with um, other people and sit around a table with some of, uh, some of the minds in the world of family ministry that I respect the most. David Thomas was there, another frequent guest on our podcast. Um, the, uh, there, there was an NFL football player there. There was all kinds of people, just a diverse group of people, but everyone was doing something in the world of family ministry. And one of the things that we spent a lot of our day talking about was the fact that we cannot put our heads in the sand on this issue because while what you just said is absolutely true, we can't get away from technology in our children's futures their futures are going to have technology in them. And at some point when they turn 18, right, or, or whatever age when they're leaving our home, they're going to be able to make their own decisions. And it's going to include social media of some kind. I mean, I almost would be willing to bet that 99% of the time, it's going to include that at some point. So we can't ignore it. Like you said, we can't bubble wrap them, but we can make wise decisions. And I feel like even as an adult, I have days where I'm like, this is not beneficial to me <laughs> because I'm not using it well or, and I've been sucked in in some way. And there's other days where it's like, oh, this was really great and helpful and connected me with great people. So I know that as an adult, if I'm noticing that it can be very harmful to me when I am not using it in the right way, how much more so for a mind that's not that's fully right. developed and not, and not fully mature in all of those ways. That's right. That's right, Erin. You're absolutely right. And so we just have to ourselves never forget and like instill into our children that inherently social media and the internet is not looking out for my best interest. And in order to use it in a God-honoring way, that must be my choice. It will never be the internet's choice. 
Right. And, and so it's just that level of intentionality because whether you're, I'll, I'll say this often, whether you're 14 or 40, the internet will find a way to take advantage of you. Mm-hmm. Whether you believe in Jesus or not, it doesn't matter. Christians are not immune. And so I just, we need to come at it with a healthy amount of care and, and intentionally use it um, for the kingdom if we want to to be on that path. So yeah, that's how I would answer that question. That, that's a whole nother podcast, right? So it that's is. good. Well, and I wanted to mention before we dive into these specific platforms that our, our middle school principal gives such a powerful snapshot of how harmful social media can be every year when he talks with all the families at our opening um, assembly. And he said, you know, 20 years ago, if you were getting made fun of at school, you went home and you were safe and you didn't have to hear it. And um, it could, you know, be in your mind, but it wasn't right in front of you. You could go home and be away from it and you didn't have to think about it if you didn't want to. And now with social media, kids are taking bullying to Instagram, to Facebook, to Twitter, to these other um, platforms and your phone goes everywhere with you. So you leave school and the bullying continues. And it's the last thing before you go to bed if you're just checking your phone constantly and you wake up and there it is. And there's that picture of you doing something, you know, that you regret or right. whatever. And so b- because of that, because of social media, bullying, uh, what people think of us, what we think of other people is there's no escape from it anymore. That's right. There's no, there used to be a reset on cruelty. Summertime was a reset. Yes. Evening was a reset. Weekends were a reset. And social media has removed all of the reset points. And for a tormented teen, there are no longer any safe places. Yeah, there's no escape from it. There isn't. And so we use that illustration a lot when we try to tell parents to cut down on some of the judgment when it comes to the difference between how parents view technology, how kids view view technology. Because if we think it's difficult parenting in the digital age, we must never forget that it's even harder being a kid in the digital age. And so when our children make a bad digital choice, because they will, we must be curious before condemning. Because those digital choices that we don't want them to make, that they will make, are unbelievable insights into the heart and mind of our young people. And so for all the parents that are listening, I want to really encourage you that lead with curiosity, lead with questions, because I've never met a kid who sends a nude photo at 10 p.m. who at breakfast said, you know what I hope happens today? I hope that at 10 p.m. I get caught for sending a nude photo. But there's a lot of things that happen throughout the day, little micro decisions, little micro interactions that lead to a life-changing choice that as a parent, understanding what happened on the path will give you unbelievable insight into all the deep and probing like questions that your son or daughter has. And, and so I... I just think that's really, really important. Consequences are fine, but first understand how they got there before you put down the hammer. You know, lead with grace instead of truth when it comes to these issues. Because if you lead with, I'm so disappointed in you and I can't believe you did that and you did this on Instagram, then the next time something happens, they won't come to you. You've, you've slammed the door shut. And so that balance, I think, is really important. So. That's- 
such a great way to think of it. So, all right. So for our show, you have picked the top five most important social media platforms that you believe parents should be aware of and understand to talk to us about today. So let's start with Snapchat. Help our listeners understand what it is, what it does, and how it could potentially help or hurt our children. Sure. So Snapchat is an app that um, loves the disappearing, you know, ephemeral nature of its content. It prides itself on being a more raw, authentic communication platform. In fact, they right now have a hashtag real friends campaign going on as a direct dig on Instagram, where they believe that all the polished fake relationships go on because of the filtering and Snapchat is the antithesis of that. So that's them going head to head in the marketing space. Um, At the same time, (laughs) any platform that has as its foundation disappearing content is always going to create greater risk, especially in a teenage brain with a prefrontal cortex that is underdeveloped and does not quite yet know how to make wise decisions consistently when faced with temptation. So yes. it's just, is do all kids who use Snapchat abuse the app? No. But does the app have attributes that are riskier because of where the teenage neurological development and maturity levels are? Absolutely. Absolutely. That again, whether you're 14 or 40, if I am in a platform whose premise is you can get away with it, eventually I'm going to make a poor choice. And so if you have a child who uses Snapchat, you have got to be an intentional parent because inherently Snapchat will eventually take advantage of your son or daughter is my conclusion. Does this mean that all 14-year-olds shouldn't use Snapchat? Well, I'll leave that up to the parent. I believe it's an app that is more appropriately used by kids who have a driver's license. It's just sort of a general, a general premise. Younger than that, See, everything in my head is a risk tolerance because that's what I grew up in coming through the consulting world. Younger than that, then there must be things to offset the risk that come with that, which is more intentional conversation, more intentional involvement in your interactions. Absent that, I just think over time, Snapchat for a 13-year-old can have the risk of doing more harm than good. So um, that's where it's not black and white. I wish it were. Um, Those are some things to know. We just... This past week, we have been tracking the Discover section of Snapchat for years. Discover is where news and magazines and other places, whether it's Brother, Cosmopolitan, Teen Vogue, this is where organizations pay tons of money to put their content in, right? At the end of the day, Snapchat wants to make money. But there are zero parental controls over the content that is released through the Discover section. Now, Snapchat would say that they age gate some of their content, which is their way of saying that when you put in a birthday at the beginning, we don't allow certain content to come in unless you're 17 years old. Well, two problems. A birthday can be changed. And so far, our testing has proven that they only age gate things related to alcohol and really just alcohol. Then when it comes to sexually explicit content, they don't apply their age gating because Snapchat has very different tolerances for appropriate versus inappropriate when it comes to explicitness, then I would say a lot of the parents who are listening to this podcast would have. An example of that is this past Saturday, Teen Vogue issued a segment in the Discover section that gave teenagers instructions for how to obtain an abortion 
and in states where parental consent is required, how to evade parental consent laws by going in front of a judge and doing certain things. Oh, that just infuriates me. And so we we wrote a post. Yeah, right. And so I'm not taking, you know, I happen to be pro-life and I'm guessing that a lot of parents listening to this are going to be in a similar stance. The point of that blog post was not what's your stance on abortion. The point of the blog post was in an app that 16 plus million teens are using, parents deserve greater control over the content that is being shown to their kids. And that Snapchat owes a duty of care in the same way we provide care for kids in other physical spaces in its app so that I can choose as a parent whether I want the discover content to be shown to my children. And so we put out, that, that's a, a post that if you want one post that exemplifies what Snapchat can be that's included with this podcast, I just published it on Tuesday. It is the most complete list of toggle switches and settings that we have ever compiled. It's everything we know about Snapchat in order to help it become an app that can be at least minimally safer for kids. It's the most extensive list that we've ever put together or seen around how to do a few things in Snapchat for parents who have kids who use it. Because there's also the issue of location, like if that's enabled and who can find you and, yeah, and, sure. and that those safety things. So we're talking about what they could send and what they could, their friends could send and then disappear. But then there's the whole other issue of who's finding you, who can tell where you are. And if kids aren't careful and parents aren't careful with that kind of thing, it's a whole different level of safety concerns. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. And predatory risk is a problem. And that's where, you know, to segue then into um, Instagram, I believe that one of Instagram's, um, you know, what, it was founded as an app that wanted to help people create beautiful photos. At its core, it has a very noble beginning. Which is why I, I love it. <laughs> right? I would argue that at its core, Snapchat has a very um, unnoble, that's not a word, but beginning, in that it was founded by college students who wanted to get away with things. On the other hand, Instagram was created because Kevin... Um, uh, Systrom, the founder of Instagram, wanted to help his wife create a more beautiful photo on one of their trips to Mexico. And so he like literally went back to a hotel and like got on dial up and wrote code and figured, anyway, it's a cool story. But now that it's become more like Snapchat and it has all these other features, uh, features I believe that in addition to its noble beginnings, it now has great predatory risk that parents need to be aware of that even with a private account, you can direct message people that with hashtags like a drone, you can drop content that is horrible in nature into innocent hashtag searches. And just through sort of a phishing exercise, predators could drop a thousand posts into hashtag teenager, hashtag cheerleading, hashtag teen girl, things that are commonly put maybe on posts used by young people and maybe just get one or two kids to bite on a post where he's put his snap name in something. Now he's fished, you know, move that kid over to a safe environment for him to get away with things. We just want parents to be aware of some of those feature related risks that are in Instagram through direct messaging and hashtags that create fertile ground for strangers. What we call tricky people to be reaching out to young people who are using Instagram. So that's kind of the other side of that noble beginning. And I can say even like 
I resisted Snapchat for a long time, but my sister and I use it and we just, we're not in the same town. And so we take pictures and send them to each other and the cousins do, but only when we're using it with them. And that's the only way I use it because I don't really like the rest of it. Um, but I have accidentally swiped to the discover side and been horrified at what I've seen. And which is why my kids never use it without me because you could accidentally swipe the wrong way right. and end up with this picture right in front of your face that is not age gated because I'm, you know, in my upper thirties. So, uh, I, as a, as a middle-aged woman is, I'm horrified by what I see. Imagine what your kids are seeing. Well, I think that that's, a, that's an important point, Erin. You just used the word accidentally. And yeah. for a lot of our listeners today, that is how it, it's happening. It's not that they're, they're 13 year old or 12 year old, or in some cases, 10 year old is, or younger, I've heard. Um, it's not that they're going out and seeking bad things necessarily. I'm sure some do, but for the majority, there's still an innocence there that some of them may not even know it exists, but they are finding it by accident because it's there and it's targeting them. And that's, I think, what is important, uh, an important point for our parents to know is we're not trying to tell you that your child is is uh, a bad kid or that you shouldn't trust them or that you should you know think that think the worst of them we're just telling you a lot of this stuff happens by accident when they're not looking for it simply because it's there and if we applied the same thinking brook to digital spaces that we do to physical spaces i think things would make a lot more sense to parents along the lines of what you just said right by some estimations I just read a survey, 27% of video-based content on the internet is pornographic in nature, okay, 27%. Meaning that when it comes to the unfiltered internet, that would be the same as if there was a coffee table in my home and there were four magazines on it. And every morning, one of those magazines was pornographic and three of them weren't. And I just hoped my kids didn't look at the wrong one. We would never do that, right? So then why would we give unfiltered internet access to our children and think that the results would be any different? And so I think it's, we sometimes have to translate digital situations into analog realities to understand the true risk. For a lot of us parents who are in our 30s and 40s who grew up analog, it's not until we do that that it makes sense what our kids are dealing with today. Um, so that's where, again especially for Christian parents who often fall into the, well, I'll just call out the ignorant mindset of my good Jesus loving kid would never do that. It's not a matter of whether or not they love Jesus. It's not a matter of whether or not they are a good kid. It's a internet that has bad features that prey on your child, regardless of those things. Yes. Are those mitigators? Yes but it does not make them immune. It does not inoculate them from an internet that does not have their best interest in mind. I think it's important to say that the internet is not neutral. It is not neutral. It is not something that Absolutely. you just think, you know, my kid is going to make good decisions because there are things about the internet that are coming after your kids. Totally. It's, it's really not about, I mean, it, in some cases with some children, it will be about the decisions that they make. But in the beginning, it often isn't. It is about the decisions that those behind the things that they're using on the internet 
are making for them that's influencing them. So that's a, a super important point. And thank you as someone who was, who did grow up in the nineties, I'm a nineties girl. It is really important for me and helpful for me to think about that the way you just said it. That's such a powerful analogy. Of course we would never, none of us would ever just leave a pornographic magazine laying around our house. We know better. So we have to be able to translate that into the world that our kids are living in. And I think that's what's so hard for us. I heard, I've said this before on the show. I heard a parent one time, it's been several years ago now, say, I have just given up trying to understand what my kid is doing on their phone. I don't even worry about it anymore. And my heart just broke because I understand, on the one hand, I understand as someone who wasn't raised in the same environment that my kids are being raised in. And, and let's just say, like, I know that every generation is different. Every generation experiences new things, new inventions. And so there's always this generation gap that we're trying to overcome to understand each other. But I feel like this particular issue is huge. It is a huge gap between parents of my generation and their children because it is, it is simply changed so much. So it's important for us to look at it and try to understand it from the perspective of what we were raised with, but then also what our kids were raised with. So thank you for that. So we've talked about uh, Snapchat and we've talked a little bit about, about Instagram. Let's talk about TikTok. TikTok is one that my son came to me the other day with. He was like, well, what about TikTok? Could I have TikTok? And so I don't have it. I only have Instagram um, and Facebook and Twitter personally, but my husband downloaded TikTok on his phone to try and, you know, take a look at it and see what it was and things like that. And so he's been experimenting a little bit with TikTok in our home, but we've not allowed our kids to have any social media right now. So tell us about TikTok from your perspective. What is it and what potential impact can it have? I want to give kudos to you and your husband for something he's doing. One of the principles that we teach parents, because we get asked all the time, Chris, is this app good or not? And I always ask them, have you used it for seven straight days yourself first? In other words, I want all parents to, it's, we call it the seven-day rule. I don't care what Disney princess is on the front of it. You as a parent need to use it for seven straight days before they do. So I want to call out that, that practice that you just explained your husband is putting, you know, that he's doing right now with TikTok that every parent needs to do that. So good job, you guys. Um, so TikTok's fairly new to, to us here in America. Um, Musical.ly is an app that more parents maybe would recognize at least naming, um, which no longer exists because everyone in August of 2018 woke up and TikTok had taken over, you know, the Musical.ly platform and acquired all of its users. And um, there are now over a billion um, regular users of TikTok every month. It is, over the past year, the most popular global social media platform um, in terms of its you know, percentage increase. Believe it or not, the social media platform that is used by more people on earth than anyone else is WhatsApp. It's just in America, that's not the one that we use. But every other country you go to, that's what they use. But TikTok is right up there, right up there too. Young kids love it because it's music, it's looping videos, it taps into the creative and quirky brilliance that Vine used to have, those seven-second looping videos that you've got to be super creative and funny to go viral in seven seconds. And it, it plays on that premise, and now it's attached popular music to it. And so it's a super attractive 
um, platform for young people because of those attributes. And as we say, a protect young eyes, wherever the kids are is where the predators are. And so because it's an app that is predominantly used by what I'll say younger or females, females are more attracted to this app than guys are because of its music, because of that sort of singing, I'll stereotypically say kind of the singing in the hairbrush in the bathroom mirror sort of mentality that that was Musical.ly's problem too, that it was a lot of young girls using the platform. And whenever that is true, there is always an inordinate number of predators who are going to be attracted to that app. And so that's one of its, one of its problems. Um, and now that billion you know, plus people are using it, we're starting to see some of the other problems that have um, been a part of other more mature social platforms like Instagram and Snapchat starting to show up in TikTok. For example, I just was um, sent an article last night about a man for the past four months has been doing research on fake TikTok accounts that are taking um, video content from other platforms like um, Instagram and others and chopping it up into 15 second bits of like women working out and fitness sort of stuff. And then they're attaching um, snap names to those and they're buying fake credibility and fake likes and TikTok. So they're boosted up in popularity and get more people to see them. And then they're shuttling people over to Snapchat for these accounts that have pornographic stories attached to them. And then through some of Snapchat's attributes, you get kids that are hooked into pornography in that way. And so you're starting to see some of this toxic symbiotic sort of relationship that has plagued Instagram and Snapchat for years because 75% of kids have both platforms. And so predators know that, that if I can get a hold of a kid in Instagram, I shuttle them to Snapchat where I can get away with it. And now the same thing is starting to crop up in TikTok where some of that handing off from one platform to the other because so many teens are using all of them are just risks that we need to be aware of. There are some parental controls in TikTok in terms of similar things from Instagram, who can see my profile, um, am I public versus private? There are some things that I can do around some of the um, uh, you know, blocking of people if there are people who are harassing me and things like that. That In protectyoungeyes.com slash apps, you'll see a whole wall of all of our app profiles, one of them being TikTok, where we itemize step-by-step step what parents can do to toggle on some of those parental controls um, for a child that can use it. And just like Instagram and Snapchat, in the Apple App Store, TikTok is rated 12. And so we just don't think that's the right age. We just don't think that there are many seventh grade brains who are ready for the risks that are in these apps that TikTok's probably more of a high school platform, even though all of my daughter's middle school friends, other than her, all had it. So let's talk about that just for a second, because as a parent, my kid comes to me regularly and says, mom, I'm the only one that doesn't have it. And I used to say that to my parents, you know, like I used to say, mom, everybody else is doing it or whatever. And my dad would always say to me, and I've caught myself saying this to my own kids, I'm not raising everybody else. <laughs> and there's truth in that. But I feel like we're living in a world where he actually is the only one. Like when I used to say that to my, my parents, it wasn't true. I wasn't the only one. It's just that the people that I really liked were the, the ones that were doing it or, you know, whatever I wanted. But in some cases, my, my kids have gone to birthday parties, sleepovers, 
like they actually are the only ones. And my mama heart hurts for them a little bit because I am intentionally isolating them from something that uh, all their friends are doing and having a great time with. And while I know that I, you know, for our family, again, I'm not, we're not here today to tell any specific family what is right for their family or what they need to do just to inform them so that they can make a good decision. But in our family, I am making a decision that's isolating him. And it hurts me a little bit because I know that while I'm trying to help him, it is costing him a little something as well. So what would you say to that for the parents out there that are making similar decisions and it it hurts them a little bit because they know they are making their kids miss out on some of the maybe potentially fun things of it. And they are causing their kids to feel a little bit isolated. How do we, how do we deal with that as parents? It's hard. I'll say that. So in those situations, I would encourage the parents to sit down and talk about that. And instead of only focusing on the channel that not all kids have, in this case, social media, are there other channels that collectively the parents can encourage for communication? Like, for example, my daughter's two best friends both have a lot of social media, but we have agreed that there's a group text that she is on with her friends. And we've, you know, spoken to the other parents and we've said, you know, this is the way that Lauren's going to be able to communicate digitally because we're not going to give her Instagram right now. We're not going to let her have a TikTok account. Is it okay that, and you know, we kind of all sit down and go, Hey, let's use this. Can the girls use a group text in addition to these things? And they've decided to do that. There's this group text messaging that goes on between them. In addition to them also without Lauren having some social media platforms, Brooke, I wish I had a super easy answer to that one. There's always going to be a little bit of swimming upstream when we're making some of these choices for our kids, whether it's whether we feel that way as believers in Jesus that we're swimming up against culture or whatever. But my, 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 what, what I want to communicate out of that is at least have a conversation with parents of those kids to say, you know, is there anything else that we can do to encourage our kids having relationship outside of the social media so that that doesn't feel like the overriding channel through which they stay in touch. Therefore my boy is out of touch with the rest of them. Can we do more, you know, taking them someplace to have fun together that isn't social media? Could your kids come with us for some weekend away and we're going to have fun together without, so like it's trying to identify as many other channels as possible for relationship between them. And that involves just talking to the other parents. And honestly, as a, we're just not really good at that as a culture right now. We're not super good at sitting down, having hard conversations with other moms and dads about the digital choices that their kids are making that are different than my kid. But I think we have to. Um, well, and I think part of the reason that we struggle with that is that anytime, and this is not just about social media, but anytime we make a decision that is different from somebody else, it can feel and often does feel like we are saying you're doing it wrong. And it's difficult to get away from that. When you've made a decision that is different from your friends or your, your, you know, the, the parents of your children's friends, it's hard to do that in a way that doesn't communicate without you even trying to 
that you believe they're doing it wrong. And so there is that difficulty in communicating um, those hard conversations because, you know, we've made lots of decisions in our lives that are different from people around us. And I never, my husband and I never intended in any of those cases to communicate to other people that we thought they were doing it wrong. It was just what we felt like was right for our family, what, how we felt like God was leading our family. And we don't give permission easily in the Christian community, I think, for people to do things different than we do because we internalize it and immediately think we're doing something wrong. So I think that's some of the source. And if we would, as a, as a collective Christian community and even beyond the Christian community, take a moment and pause and say, we all have the right before the Lord to do what we feel like is best for our family. Just because Susie Q's parents make a different choice for her doesn't mean that they think I'm doing it wrong. They're just trying to do what they think is, is best before the Lord for their child. And there needs to be some permission in, in the Christian community, I think, for us to make different choices and then be able to talk about those without judgment. Yeah, I, and that's where I, I wish I had a more perfect, a more precise, a more quantifiable, a more prescriptive answer to your question. Um, it's just, it's, it's going to be hard. There are going to be some times where you are going to feel like the only one or that some friendships are just going to have to, you know, disappear or, or stop because of these things. But I, I've, we've, Andrea and I have just decided that the safety and protection of our kids is going to be one of the primary determinants of how we parent. And I'm not going to sacrifice that just to seem like other families. So in, in order to soften the blow of that a little bit, I'm going to have to force myself to have difficult conversations with parents from time to time. I have to force myself to, you know, to talk about this stuff more openly. If I'm received with because they think I'm judging them, then I can't help that. But I have to own trying so that I'm not sacrificing the protection of my kids just to make them feel like they all have social media. So that's fantastic. It's a good answer. You know, sometimes there are things that we just can't answer. Uh, We have to really go before the Lord and figure out what's right between us and God. Okay. We've already covered Snapchat, TikTok, and Instagram, which I feel like are the big three that I'm hearing kids talk about. But you've also mentioned YOLO and Discord, which are ones I am not familiar with. So can you give us a brief overview of those and how kids are using them? Yeah, so YOLO is primarily used with, it's only used through Snapchat, right? So it's an anonymous way to provide feedback on public stories that are in Snapchat where you can ask people to just answer a random question attached to your story, but you don't know who answered it, right? And so that's just one that creates fertile ground for things being shared inappropriately. So it's for parents listening to this who have kids who use Snapchat, it's one that you need to see is also downloaded on your kid's phone. It's a yellow app with black letters that say YOLO. And if so, just understand some things about it. Not all kids using YOLO are abusing it, but we've written a lot about it um, that you know, maybe you can link to show parents that it's just one to be aware of because of its cyberbullying risk is its greatest concern. That, that sounds like a disaster waiting to happen. <laughs> it is. It is already in an app that has some risk and then you attach more anonymity to things that disappear. That's kind of like a toxic right. duo. Mm-hmm. So um, Discord is another one that I'm, I don't think a lot of 
um, parents are going to be familiar with. It's for gamers, right? So it's a social platform for gamers. And so for parents, um, and it's the statistics would support this, you know, that not all gamers are guys, but most game, most guys are drawn to gaming. Right. I mean, that's, and so it's, um, yeah. So I, the, the reason I mentioned that one is because one, a lot of parents don't think about it. They don't think about it as social media, but it's social media for gamers. And so if, um, you have a kid who's really into, you know, multiplayer online video games or really into, you know, Fortnite or other things, whatever it might be. It may be an app that they're drawn to because they can find relationship and some resonance with people and kids who think like they do. And, you know, stereotypically, some young boys can get pulled into a path of gaming that creates a lot of isolation. And so those types of kids are more vulnerable to inappropriate sort of conduct in those apps. Because even if I'm say not really good socially in the real world, which can sometimes be an attribute of kids who are really, really into gaming because they feel like they can be more in control. They have more powers. They're, heroes in these games. Those are the kinds of kids. And again, you just need to know your kid well enough to know, do they have some of those risk attributes? Do they have some of those characteristics where if they have an app like discord, is there a risk that they're going to connect with people they shouldn't and feel more comfortable saying things digitally that they don't in real life because they're not really conversant um, with me about things. I just, that's one where parents just need to know your kid well enough to know whether or not those are some risks that exist. And if so, then, you know, make sure that's not an app they're spending a lot of time in. And again, you can read all about Discord on, on our website. Um, gaming is really popular right now. I mean, Ninja is uh, like the top guy when it comes to gaming. And he's super popular and out there and in media right now. So I just find there's a lot of kids who are just being drawn into the gaming ecosystem um, and so if that happens to be your kid and then you're going to want to know about, you know, um, discord for sure. And you're going to want to know um, some of the risks that come with it. So. That's awesome. I, like I said, I had never heard of those two. So if somebody had mentioned, I'd be like, what is that? So it's like, it's all about us being informed because we can't make decisions unless we actually know what we're dealing with. So um, Chris, we kind of like to wrap up our show by asking our guests to share a verse or a passage of the Bible that they're praying for their children. But we also want to know your thoughts on how to pray for your kids as they interact with social media. So uh, can you kind of address that in a combination? What are you praying for your kids as they're making these decisions, as they have phones, as they're dealing with the whole social media uh, world, whether they're on it or missing it or any of that? This is good. We can combine those two questions into one answer. And yeah. you and I hadn't rehearsed this, but that, <laughs> no. this, is, this is what I say to parents in my presentations is that we need to lead with prayer in this space and let's use scripture as a way to personalize prayer over our children. And this, the Psalms is a good example. So I use Psalm 119.37, which says, turn my eyes away from worthless things, preserve my life according to your word. And I encourage parents, not because God's word is insufficient, because it's totally fine and perfect just the way it is, 
But I believe the Psalms are a, a, a spot of emotion, of authenticity, that we can personalize them like this. Put the name, the first name of your child in that verse. Turn Chris's eyes, or I'll use Lauren, my daughter. Turn Lauren's eyes away from worthless things. Preserve Lauren's life according to your word. It's a way to harness the power of scripture as a weapon that we have, and also in a very applicable way when it comes to eyes and her heart when it comes to the digital space, that I've combined those two things. And if I don't know what to pray for when it comes to my kids and technology, let's use what's been in place for 3,000 years and use it for, uh, you know, um, you know, in that way. And we've kind of checked off two things at once, if that makes sense. It absolutely makes sense. And it really is the heartbeat. Uh, the, the word of God is living and active. It's not just a regular book. It is. It has power to work in our lives and change our hearts. And that's something we're passionate about here at the Ministry of Million Praying Moms is praying God's word over our kids. So you just just firmly fit right into our heart and what we're trying to share with parents as well. So we love that. Chris, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been an incredibly informative for me as a parent, just me. Like that's one of the reasons I love to do these is because I get to learn so much. And I know that our, our listeners are going to as well. Tell our listeners again where they can learn a little bit more about you to make sure that they're plugged in and know how to find answers as ongoing answers for their children. Yeah, sure. So um, go to protectyoungeyes.com. There you can view any of the content that we just talked about. There's blog, apps, and devices. Those are the three places that parents, grandparents, um, guardians are going to want to spend time. Blog is where we are constantly doing research. We're constantly exposing risks like you know, Snapchat, Discover, and other places. Apps, those are all going to be profiled like the five we just talked about. Um, from there, you can subscribe to our newsletter so that if you want to receive that weekly summary of digital trends, that's free. We have um, tens of thousands of parents who receive that every Wednesday or Thursday. You can join us there. You can also find us on Facebook at Protect Young Eyes. We have a page there that we're posting almost every day. We're on Twitter only because we have to be. I honestly can't stand the platform personally. Um, I, I, I I think Twitter has turned us all into 240 character extremists, to be honest, but <laughs> I, I, I'm on it. And if you want to follow us there, we also post there the same things that we put on Facebook. And then we've recently started using Instagram at, you know, protect young eyes. And those are all free. We want parents to just keep connected to that stuff so that you can't use the excuse. I didn't know where to go. We've eliminated right. that excuse for you. So yes. And we are really, really thankful for that. Again, thank you for joining us today, Chris. And that's it for today, friends. As always, you can find any specifics from our show in our show notes at millionprayingmoms.com, including a link to a free resource we have for you called 10 Ways to Know If Your Child is Ready for a Cell Phone. Tune in next week for another episode of the Million Praying Moms podcast. Has fear stolen your peace? I'm Jennifer Slattery, lead host of the Faith Over Fear podcast, helping you fight your fears and grow your faith. Subscribe at lifeaudio.com.